1: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write
0: an ad? Yes.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. When Style Runner first came on the scene, that's back in 2012, it was... Pretty much an immediate international success. A great story. It was innovative. The one place where you could access athletic wear that was attractive to the women buying it. But cash flow issues put the business into administration and was soon acquired by Ascent Group in 2019. Just a bad time to raise money or a further raise and they failed. But now the two founders, they are re-entering the tech startup space as second time founders with, by the way, a failure to the name, which in most cases is a positive. Her black book, HBB, is a curated fashion marketplace. Since its launch in November 2021, HBB has welcomed more than 500 brands to its platform. Sally and Julie are twins. And while they might not look identical, they have the same identical entrepreneurial drive. I want to discuss with Sally and Julie the topic of raising capital at a time when even big tech companies such as Canva are having difficulty convincing the market that valuations are correct. Julie wants to refer to this as the tech winter. How do you effectively preserve your capital when it's hard to access the market for further capital? We also want to rip into the lack of female-backed startups. Who's to blame? And probably more importantly, what the fuck can we do about it to fix it? Let's get into it. Julie and Sally, welcome to the mentor. Thanks. I was going to try and be a bit, bit, bit tricky and say Steph- Stefania <laughs> as Julie Got it. and uh, Sally. My God, sassy! It's
2: How a pearler. Good. It is a perla Thank you. It's a
0: ripper. <laughs> How good and twins?
1: We are twins.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, we're going to talk about her black book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: HBB co-founders. That's your deal. We'll, we'll I want to park that for the moment. Just, I just quickly want to talk 2019. Um, you ran in a few bumps, but prior to that, you guys founded Style Runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty cool brand, still a good yeah, brand. In yeah. fact, I went and bought my uh, girlfriend some uh, gift vouchers.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, one the other day. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, it's a nice store. It's a good store.
1: Which store did you go into? So the
0: Double Bagels. I happened to be yeah. getting some money. There's only one ANZ cash machine. I live in these suburbs these days. <laughs> In The whole fucking east suburbs, and uh, and if I want to get cash, which I like to have because I still always worry my credit card's gonna not work for some reason that they're gonna deny me credit because that goes back to right when I that's PTSD for when yeah. I was like 20. Okay, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I know this is about you, but I'll, I'll need a quick story. When I was, um, well, my very first girlfriend who when well, I met at school who became my wife uh, at 20, which I know, is, and then became my ex wife at 23. Um, her and I, I got a credit card, a bank card issued to me and it was had a $400, uh, $200 credit limit on it. And uh, I thought, wow, I'm going to take her for dinner. And I'd never taken her out for dinner. This is when we were just going out. And I was 18. I took her to a restaurant in, um, in the city and uh, when then I got there, i never forget, I looked at the menu and it was a set menu and you had to buy everything. I know the
1: type.
0: Right? Yeah. And then you had to buy a drink. And I quickly did a calculation. I didn't have enough fucking credit. And uh, unfortunately, I had to leave. We had to get up and leave. And uh, that scarred me. I've never forgotten that. And I still had to get cash out of the bank. And when I got cash out of the bank, last time I saw a Style Runner and I went and bought a um,
2: And it brought back all your past trauma. (laughs) Totally.
0: So thanks, Style Runner. But Style Runner is a good brand and it was a good business. What happened?
1: It's, it's a great business. So like many businesses, you know, the iconic, um, lots of new businesses, it takes a long time to get to profitability. And so it was naturally following the path of many new businesses before it where you need to invest and, and continue to invest until it gets to that break-even point. Or
0: have free capital to invest. Yes. Patient capital.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And I guess, you know, one of the big lessons that I've taken out now is around timing because, you know, Star Runner was a great business and we launched it. It absolutely went viral for those first like three or four years. We spent zero dollars on marketing. We grew like a thousand percent in three years just through social media and virality. And that's because women were like, wow, this concept has never been around before. Why didn't it exist? So it had demand. There was that product market fit um and every year we continued to grow it so it was still a growing business all the fundamentals were getting better every single year um but we needed to keep capital raising and the thing was the timing for retail at that time was not great um you know three or four years before that you had like Net-a-Porter, which was you know kind of like this pioneering success story even asos like that was like a darling on the stock market when it you know kind of launched yeah i remember that yeah right so there was a lot of interest in e-commerce just those few years beforehand and then, like. Fast forward three or four five years later and you had, you know, Amazon, which still was not making a profit and everyone was like, can we tell e-commerce ever make a profit? So there was a lot of, you know, kind of naysaying and, you know, inventory is capital intensive. So all of these investors that had sh- and shifted their focus from e-commerce to SaaS, right? Light, scalable, um, you know, high returns, high gross margins. And so there was less appetite for retail. And so it really, you know, continued to be a great growing business, but it was just ultimately a capital raise that, you know, we did many of them. We did many capital raises, but ultimately it was just not enough capital in Australia for us to get that deal over the line. We had one that essentially fell over last minute.
2: I think also like just touching on that as well, the other side is it was a decade ago and a decade ago you've got two female founders entering sportswear in a techish market, you know, fat chance we were going to really get proper investors to back us. And I think, you know, I would have thought maybe like a decade on things would have changed, but the stats are out there and it's showing that women in business and in particular in tech unfortunately don't get the funding and support. Um, And, you know, that is definitely a big Dent in the reason Style Runner ended yeah. up going into administration.
1: Yeah. We were pitching investors women's activewear. I mean, firstly, they didn't really have a lot of, you know, passion for it themselves. Um, but it was also a market they didn't understand. You know, like we're talking about how Lycra is taking off, it's a new school drop off, you know, I mean, and our growth numbers showed it. You know, it wasn't just here's a theory, it's like here's a growing business, here's our sales, trajectory's, you know, great. Um, we're growing our gross profit margin every single year, getting closer to break even. We had some. Profitable months. So, you know, it, it was there, the green shoots were there. And we weren't, um,
2: we were doing things on a big scale. Like we were the first global partners to Lululemon. We had um, customers who were buying our Nike Quick Stripe product within minutes of it going live, writing letters to Nike saying, Hey, I want to buy it, but can you send it so I can buy it off Style Runner's website? They were taking it off their site here in Australia, putting that stock onto ours so that it could sell. So we were doing really, massive things winning a world retail award which is like the oscars but it was never
1: enough um and- never enough
0: for who? For investors or never enough never enough to bridge the cash flow problems
1: well both, both. I mean, we still had like a couple of years to get to that break-even point that profitability unless you wanted to totally you know kind of shrink growth but then you you open up well, a whole- just makes sense, at- yeah right yeah. you know so like the point of
0: being there in the first yeah. place is to grow so like because i mean i think people need to hear this so what patient capital means. Um, that is investors who are prepared to invest but come back and reinvest and find other investors because the patience is about waiting for you to break even yeah. and then to be cash flow positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People myself, oh, that sounds like a shit business. Um, you know, like losing money. But explain the thinking about growth is the most important thing. Um and how you use growth to allow your expenses to or your growth to catch up to your expenses. You know, in mm-hmm. your case, you've got to have to yeah. stock shit, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Your new business is around the other way. Yeah. You have avoided <laughs> that issue. We'll talk about that too. Yeah. But, but the, the lessons, well, I want to get to the bottom of the lessons that came out of Style Runner for you. Yeah. When do you need capital? Sally, you just kick it off.
2: Yeah, I think definitely you need it sooner than you think. So, you know, if you suspect that you need to do a raise, let's just say in November, you should probably be doing it in March or April um, because these things can take so long. Like mm. in terms of raising funds, you might think it's going to take three, you might think it's going to take six months. It can take far longer than that. And obviously if your cash burn is still the same, then your runway is, is running out faster than you anticipated. Um, but also... Being time intensive, a capital raise, having to take yourself as a resource out of the business, so that you can focus on that, will have an impact as well. So I think Julie and I both learned from Style Runner, and even now with HBB, that you definitely should be raising either more than you expected that you needed, or sooner than you expected. It's funny
0: you say that because Kerry Page used it to me when he and I in business together, and we used to have to raise money because you know we had to fund borrowers, with like billions of dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, say hey, son." If the money's on the table, you take the money to the table. It doesn't matter if you think you can get more down the track. He said, because I can tell you right now, these words, they never left my brain. When you need the money, you won't be able to raise it. Mm -hmm. When you can raise it is when you don't need it. Yeah. So raise it when you don't need it.
1: It's such a conundrum. It truly is. Well, you've got to give too much away. Yeah. But. If but like, here's an example of that. Like with HVB, you know, we are growing like we've averaged 60% revenue growth month on month. Can I say that, Sal? I can share that. So, I mean, <laughs> Too look, late. it's early days, <laughs> we're in the roles, but like we're, we're growing like, you know, there's a really great pipeline. And in, say, six, nine months, maybe 12 months, you know, we'll hit that kind of really beautiful inflection point where everyone will want a piece of it. Yeah. But we don't need the money then. <laughs> then we'll be, at, you know, kind of, we'll have a, you know, a profit. And so we can actually reinvest it how we like. You need that money before you get to that point. And it is a conundrum. So so, so
0: just on that, so, yeah. so I'd like you to look at that for look at that for a second, Julie. Like so overlay all that is mm-hmm. what is the general liquidity in the market. So are there any investors? I mean mm-hmm. that, that sometimes there's no investors. Like right yeah. now, it's difficult because liquidity's sort of gone back into the banking system. Because yep. people can get good, rate, good return yep. on their money. Yeah. A year ago they you got point one of a percent Yeah. Deposit rate. Yeah. So all your high net wealth, so fuck, we've got to find some alternative. Yeah. We'll take a punt.
1: Yeah.
0: How important and how do you guys work out reading the liquidity of the market? I mean, what do you do with that? Do you sort of say, shit, the market's a bit tough at the moment or do you step back or get into it? What do you do?
1: It's really, is really important. Um, And I think generally there is a lot of money in the market around, um, but sometimes it just dries up and I think there's still money around, but it just makes it harder to find. Like if you are a founder out there trying to raise capital, I think there's money out there, but you don't have the time to go and speak to, you know, 5,000 people, you know, you need the odds to be better than that to get the money in the time, et cetera. So, you know, when that money does dry up, and so we're talking about not just the market, you know, the interest rates increasing so there's more competition for an investor's money, but also there's this tech winter that is happening right now. So tech winter. Yeah, tech like winter. That. So, you know, everyone has seen those, you know, the Canva's, et cetera, all of these, you know, incredible companies. Revaluations.
0: Revaluations, yeah. So basically sort of saying, the valuations in the past or the multiples exactly were ridiculous. Yep. That's what the market's mm-hmm. saying. That's yep. what the commentary. Yeah. That's where the commentary is. Yep. And Canva's been one of the big, big ones been hit Casuities, by it hard. is
1: one of many. All of the whole sector has been, you know, kind of sledged. So, so what do you
0: do? What do you do now? What well, do you what do that in this means, situation?
1: Well, well first you've got to evaluate what's happening. So what that means is that all of the, you know, not all, many of the investors are you know kind of waiting to see what happens see how things shake out they're being super conservative really conservative they've got to worry about their portfolio companies that they've already invested in that will need to raise more money and so they're preserving capital for them too because whereas they could have gone out and got money from anyone um now they may struggle to raise elsewhere so they're saving money for that so all of a sudden there's more competition for investors money there's less money from actual you know vcs etc what do you do about that um I you think- look who does have pockets to open. So, yeah. you know, I think being a founder, you
2: often think straight away, VCs, VCs, VCs. But maybe VCs aren't the answer. So sometimes it might be shifting towards now family offices. Mm-hmm. Often VCs have got a lot more, um, you know, dotting of the I's, crossing of the T's. and well, a They could lot- begin redemptions. Yes. Like it just... I don't know. I think I think times are changing and, yes, they are important, especially if you're looking at breaking out into, you know, additional markets. Um, but what we've found is that whilst VCs are being conservative, family offices and high net worth individuals are actually like, look, let me see what you've got. Let me get in on a good deal. Um, and I think It's probably that- their
1: time to actually get in and see more deals because the VCs have kind of stepped back. So I think that's probably, you know, part of the opportunity. A good example
2: there. of
0: VCs we're talking about is like... Um- Blackbird. Yeah. We yeah. talk about uh you know Airtree. Tree, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, who raise large amounts of money mm-hmm. and they're compelled to invest when the money's coming in because they can't leave the money in the bank yeah. because they get what they call negative carry. You know, you go and raise two hundred million dollars and you put it on deposit at point one yeah. of a percent, well, you're going backwards because they've got to take the two percent fee yeah. straight mm-hmm. up. So the the things be, so they have to invest. Yeah. And then what they like to do is invest in a I don't know, into Canva or something like that and they, the valuation of Canva goes up and the whole market believes that story and says mm-hmm. that, this is a multiple we're going to give and we're all on, we're on a high. But then the market starts to capitulate yeah. and then it goes back the other way yeah. and these guys start reporting reductions in value mm-hmm. and then their investors start going, hang on, uh, my value of my units and your trust have gone down, I want my money back. And then they get redemptions. Yeah. Yeah. Was that what happened with Stole Runner when you were out in the market in 19 trying to raise Mm, dough?
1: No, not so much. It wasn't about, you know, the timing of investors, you know, trying to take their money out of the system. It was really everyone wanted, they didn't want to back inventory. They were like, you know, create a marketplace, They didn't want to put
0: money into businesses that needed to hold inventory.
1: Exactly, yeah. Which is why we're not touching it this time around. (laughs) But the thing is, unfortunately, like if you have the capital, you know, the richest people in the world, are actually behind retail businesses. You know, if you look at the Indy Texas Zaras, you know, the LVMH groups, et cetera. So you can, it's actually a very lucrative industry, but it definitely takes that patient capital that you're talking about and there's less patient capital than there is capital that wants to ride that, you know, kind of fast hockey stick J-curve growth of, you know, SaaS, which, um, you know, was just the, you know, in favour at the time. So
0: what happened? So you're in a position like this, you can't raise money. Yeah. But what does it feel like?
1: it's stressful um i think that despite being you know kind of sisters this is something i think every founder out there can relate Mm. to whether you've got a co-founder or not probably raising funding is probably the shittiest part of the whole um you know experience you don't control you don't control it completely and also you're so passionate about the work that you're trying to do You, you want to be spending your time there and this can honestly take up more of your time than you spend on the business. And And it can be disheartening as well.
2: Like you're going there telling people about your vision and what you genuinely believe with every inch of your soul that it's going to become a success and you're finding believers who want to come and be a part of that. So when you put everything on the line and they turn around and say, look, come back in six months, Mm, not just yet, it hurts. Let's just be real about it. Like it fucking stings. Like yeah, you yeah. heard, um, we met with Mike Smith, and he was telling us he got a hundred nos. You know,
1: from from people looking for events. So to did invest. Canva. You so did Canva. Got nos and they, you know, went on to become the multi billion dollar business they are. So it's it stings. But di- it, It's disheartening, especially when you believe that it will become that next great business.
0: How important is it then to have a co founder? Oh, I think it's.
1: Not? I think it's immensely. So like, what hmm. do you
0: do to? I mean, how how do you sort of numb that feeling?
1: I feel like actually when one one of us is a little bit down, the other one just steps up, pulls up, up, you know, and allows a bit of space for that person to, you know, kind of just... Is that a
0: conscious move or just... uh, It's
1: not even spoken between us. You can just sense it. Like if I can sense that Sal is a bit down, you know, kind of I'll step in and, you know, kind of pep her up or, you know, kind of pick something else up and, you know, my energy is infectious, you know, so... Mm um, you're just naturally aware of, you know, how you can lift the mood, you know, you kind of share some good news, you know, that sort of thing. So- or you
2: might say, Hey team, Julie's going to bunker down for the next three days. Cause she needs to focus on this, which is giving her that space, you know, to just focus on whether it's a capital raise or just to breathe. And then you go, okay, anything else come to me. So I feel like for us, I don't know if it's because we're sisters, we're twins, we're second time founders. So we've learned a lot in that time. Um, but we can pick up those pieces and, and really it's almost like so fluid that no one in the business feels it but we know that we can kind of step up and step back when needed but it's always covered yeah.
1: between us. I would hate to be doing business any business without a co-founder. I think it's really a great support network. No, you know, I'm, I
0: I'm, her, I'm into that too, by the way. Like, i coached
1: yeah. her from Style Runner. <laughs> tell,
0: me that, tell, me, no, tell me that story though. Like, how do you
2: mean? So I had left the business. Um, Style Runner? Style Runner. I moved to Bali for a period of time with my husband, you know, Change of lifestyle. Um, and whilst I was there, I came up with this idea. Uh, I was basically selling, um, buying, and selling domain names, and I bought the name Her Black Book. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something with this. Started studying criminology, and I got a pass to uni days. And I thought, this is really you got great. A what? a what? A pass to uni days, What's which is it's like a um, shopping platform for uni students, right? I thought this is really good. But as a mature age. Adult reentry like this doesn't suit me. So I was like, "Why isn't there one for women?" And that's when I started researching and realizing there's actually a gap in the market here. There should be a really easy to use shopping app for women that curates all the best retail information in one easy place.
0: Basically, an aggregation marketplace.
2: Yes, right. yeah, getting all your you know whether it's your cashback deals, whether it's discounts at checkout, or whether it is just giving you the information you need to know when new season drops are happening. So I kind of started working on a business plan and I just started reaching out to Julie and saying, hey, I've got this idea.
0: Julie was still a star on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I said, hey, I've got this idea. Can you just give me your opinion and give me some advice and feedback? But I knew what my end game plan was. My end game plan was to get her on board, but I didn't want to freak her out. So I had to just like, you know, get her to see the vision, get her to also believe in it wholeheartedly herself. And then I was like, do you want to come on board?
0: (laughs) But what did you think when... Sally reached out to you from Bali?
1: I was kind of happy for her because at Style, at that stage, it was nearly 10 years old and it becomes, it's very different. Starting, starting something and running a mature business are very, very different. And I think that both Sally and I, really hungry, gritty, we just love that early stage when you're figuring it out. It's messy but we just don't care and we, you know, kind of get in there and it takes a very particular mindset and so I was really intrigued by it and I wasn't thinking about it for me, I was just like that's so cool that you're, you know, kind of going to start something new and I said, look, send it my way, let me help you pull together a business plan and I thought that was going to be it. I'll just, you know, kind of help her out but I was really, like I wanted to witness what she was going to create with it and I think with so, that, because you
2: were a retailer, and the solution that I was building for retailers, you could actually see it working or being adopted by Style Runner. So she looked at it and was like, "Actually, if this was live and it was a product, even if it wasn't owned by Sally, I would sign Style Runner up for it." And that's probably what got you even more excited was the fact that you could see it being acquired by businesses
0: at that early stage. How you saw the interaction between vendors and the platform, and ultimately consumers.
2: Well, I knew that it would be a you know. Um, two-sided marketplace. So I knew that it was all about consumers who want to shop and then it was also about the retailers and the affiliate model, so to speak. So for me, that was, I knew that there were brands like Star Runner who were already on existing models that potentially weren't right in terms of um, whether or not they deemed to be aspirational or premium. Um, and so that was part of my, you know, sense check. I wanted to say to Julie, hey, if this was a product, would it be something Star Runner would sign up for? I knew that if Star Runner signed up for it, then I had something because it was one of those things where, you know, we so carefully curated who we partnered with, what we chose to adopt that, if she said yes, then it was like a green light. I knew that I had something that other retailers would also want to jump on board. Other similar retailers, absolutely.
1: Well, in a way, what I was doing too was really vetting. I would have given her some pretty like direct advice if I thought this had a really long shots of succeeding. Yeah. yeah. So I was kind of actually vetting the business for her. I yeah. was like, let me do some due diligence on this and actually, you know, kind of do some market research, etc. Um, and yeah, it was it was new and innovative. It was you know approaching things in a new way, which I love. Um, but I could see the parallels to other industries, which is something I always look for, even with Star you know, Star feels like a concept that's been around for decades, but when we did it 10 years ago. It was the first of its kind of globally, mm-hmm. and but I saw those parallels to other industries, etc. So I always look for that, and I, there was enough industry research to say this can work, this can stack up. Now let's at the business model, make sure it's sustainable, make sure it's the profit margins are high enough. You know, knowing all those things that we learned from Star, and what investors look for. She was um, like, "No stock, check."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big part. Yeah, yeah, and by the way, tech allows that.
1: Yeah. Yes, and this
0: is about this is yeah. about tech. Yeah, and what's interesting, your earlier statement about women in tech. Um, but you're doing everything. That for me, I I don't really see any difference between women and tech, men and tech. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think women in tech are just as good as men in tech, and I,
1: if not better, well, not <laughs> just as good. Whatever.
0: I mean, they can be any individual can be better than any other individual, hundred mm-hmm. percent. But um, and it, but it shouldn't be such a scary topic. That uh, we even need to talk about it. I shouldn't be. I'm saying I know it, we is, it, have is, to. it is. Yeah. It yeah. is. It yeah. is. It yeah. is. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it shouldn't be.
1: Absolutely. I know. I agree. It shouldn't be. But the reason that it, I think it is important to talk about it is because I don't think there's enough representation still. I think that there's a lot of unconscious bias that happens. You know, talking about investment and that sort of thing. I mean, the fact is, um, you know, it's, it used to be less than two percent of VC investment went to. Two female founders, like solely female founded businesses, is now dropped to something like 0.7%. And so there has to it means be less. Yeah, it's gone Which is down. outrageous, right? It's gone down. And so um, I think it's unconscious. I don't think people are out there and not like, I don't want to give this to women, but it's about um representation. And when investors meet someone and they're kind of seeing that somebody who they've backed before. That this reminds me of someone I know I've backed before and they were gritty and they were a winner. Or well, they haven't seen enough women that, you know, kind of looked like the, the women they're meeting now that went on to succeed because a generation of women missed out on that funding. So it's
0: gonna be cured then, just by time? Do you think it's the only Hopefully cure? Because um, I mean prime minister get up and talk all this shit about women's stand women's tech yep. tech and mm. you know the university could talk about it and everyone could talk about it. But is it just a matter of there's got to be time?
2: Well, not time, action, right? Because you can have all the time in the world. But if you don't have VCs who are actually going to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a crack. I'm actually going to back these two founders, female founders, and I'm going to give them the shot to prove a point and actually start to shift the needle and to be part of that story of wanting to make that
1: change, wanting to actually shift the needle for women. More conscious. In
2: some way. Yes, in some
1: way, yes. And I don't think that we're not saying VCs should drop their benchmark for investment. And you they don't just want to be legislated. To, nope. They just need to think about what could be swaying this decision here that I'm not really conscious of because my end results are not meeting up with what the truth is. So the truth is, you know, there have been studies, I think it was an index that did a famous, no, first round did a famous one which said that um but startups that had at least one female founder actually delivered um better results, more profitability than than purely male-founded um businesses. And so the data is there that having a female co-founder at least is actually more profitable more successful. And so if they're not investing the same way that mm. the data says is, you know, gonna deliver the best results, why is that? And so there needs to be some sort of mandate just to um, have them question their own assumptions.
0: Maybe a better checklist.
2: Yeah, but I'll tell you what part of the problem is, right, is that with that action missing, what tends to happen is, um, and Julie might be looking at me going, don't say anything. No, but say, say. no I don't. VCs have a tendency, and this happens across the board because all us female founders talk about this, have a tendency to have these functions where they invite all their portfolio yeah. um, parties or companies on board and they send out these... Invitations to female founders they haven't backed, but they say, Would you like to come along? Because they want the room to look like there's a mix of genders, right? So there's a gender wash. Exactly. Yeah. And that to me, I like that not term. only is insulting, but it's actually what's wrong. It's yeah. like you want us to be present to. Save your face. Don't I mean, fuck
0: off. I mean, but
2: like, yeah. well, I don't go to any. So yeah. I but might. Maybe
0: you should go and just say, make a big deal of it and say, oh, I'm fucking here. Well, yeah, here I am. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. It's, it,
2: well, this is a thing, and it is one of those catch 22s, right? I don't go because for me, it goes against my morals and my values. You want me at your dinner? Well, then you should have enough balls to write a number on a check and actually back us. If you believe in us and you think that we're great founders, great. Back us. We're not asking for a huge check but even give us a small check. Um, But then also by saying no, as a female who doesn't get huge opportunity, you're also saying no to a room of potential to speak to other investors. So it's one of those things where how do you shift that needle and what it takes is actually from the other side.
0: You need heroin. So a heroin, someone says, fuck it, I'm going. Yeah. And I'm going to go and I'm going to put on a show. Well, lucky
2: there's two of us (laughs) because one of us can say no and the other one can say yes. I I just said that, right? You (laughs) know, it'd
0: be good to see heroines because you put on a show, in other words, you show off, not yourselves, but you put the person on show, the the organisation on show and you Mm. pretty much put it straight on. Listen, we're Mm. here. You haven't invested in us. Um, We don't know what you're doing here. You nearly need to put it straight on them. And it's not like Daniel Petrie. I mean, I can't, you know, he's a really cool guy Mm -hmm. at Airtree. Um, I don't know his partner, but he's not there anymore. You know? yeah. But anyway, whatever. I know him. But Dan- Daniel would get that shit. Mm-hmm. He might not invest for some other fundamentals, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he would get that shit. And uh, I just see a new heroines. But we've got to go to the break. we were just talking about um or the bias perhaps a better way of putting it reinvestors or managers or funds in terms of um backing women in technology and then the converse part of that is that women who are in a business a startup business or any business raise money those businesses tend to form better maybe not just because there's a woman in there but just because of the combinations they tend to form better yet That fundamental is not something on the checklist for managers or for investors. Mm -hmm. Where do you go with this? I mean, next time you get an invitation, will you go?
1: Sally is not going. (laughs) I go, but I do want to hold... um, VCs accountable to how they're tracking, so I will ask the difficult questions, and I even have spoken to Sally about like if I had more time, what I would what I would love to be doing, because um, I think that visibility on you know who is out there, and it's not just women, by the way. There's all sorts of you know kind of minorities that are not yeah. getting backed as well. But if it's gone backwards, who has had their eye on that? Um, and when I say go backwards, the you know minorities getting funded that has gone backwards. So who's measuring that internally at every VC? Who's who's measuring that at a higher level um, in a way that actually helps drive the progress, not just in a way? Like we're talking about 10 years of nothing mm-hmm. much changing. Um, we can't just let another 10 years go by and just go, oh, wow, we're still at the same, you know, kind of two-ish percent. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go and ask hard questions. It, just
0: explain to me because I've never been to one of these events, but um, when they hold these portfolio events, mm-hmm. um, do they have a panel? Like, do, sometimes. Do, uh, sometimes. Or is it just, and would uh, you believe it? Stuff,
1: like. <laughs> they, can, they take all forms. Like sometimes it's just a big round, you know, kind of dinner thing. Sometimes there's a panel. Um, um, dinner's all fucking waste of time. Yeah.
0: If there's a panel, can you insist? Look, I'll come, but I want to be in the panel.
1: It's a good suggestion because the last one we went to was uh, about seven speakers, all of them were men.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's that's I'm getting. So. Yeah,
1: we actually we actually couldn't post photos <laughs> because it would um, be embarrassing. It would have you know caused that much backlash. They would
0: have been embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, but like uh, I mean, I, I, this is I mean. I'm Look, there it. are some
1: times that we will draw attention to it Then there are other times we need to be politically sensitive. And, yeah, you know, so I have one as
0: a political sensitivity to this stuff. It's I a mean- tricky
1: one, right, because we've got this double burden. One, we are already disadvantaged because the funds are not flowing to the way of, you know, our minority. Two, um, we need to help make that change, but we also need to be polite enough that we don't have doors closed us mm. for trying to shake things up.
0: You're thinking... Fuck, we weren't, we weren't going to talk to them because they're, they're trouble. They're not trouble, no, but know. like too hard to handle.
1: We. Um, I, I think I always like, this is probably the difference between Sally and I, Sally and I are very chalk and cheese and I'm probably like a diplomat and Sally's probably the, the, I don't care. I'm going to be a troublemaker. So I always try to be diplomatic and I think, okay, I'm always like, how can we go about this respectfully? How can we actually engage them and get them to want to support the change that we are trying to, you know, go about. Whereas Sally would probably just go. All I'm not a troublemaker. For, I'm just a straight
2: shooter. So I think, you know, for me, it's also like, you know, seeing these VCs, like one of the best um, VC founders I've ever met is Craig from Airtree. And, you know, we, we met with him, we pitched um, to him and he said, look, not ready just yet, maybe in six months, but what he then did, which is the only um, VC who offered this just straight off the bat, he said, do you want to schedule in some time? And I will sit with you and I'll actually tell you some areas as to why we said no and what you need to like kind of prove out and that for me was like a thank you moment where we went you know what thank you because we could see that he was genuinely there to offer us help and support may not have written that check but if someone's saying to you oh no because xyz and you've got nothing to work on that makes it really difficult but the fact that he gave us Carved out time out of his very busy diary to actually sit through and talk through the the business plan, etc., um, and give us some really valuable feedback. For me, was like
1: I can't respect him more than I do. Um, and Julie, you would agree, yeah. right? And look, a lot of VCs say no and then end up backing someone they've said no to. Like these things happen, right? But I actually do have a lot of respect for the ones that make you want to go back for that, you know, kind of second round um, because. It is, you know, it's a natural part of the game, getting a no and then they might come in later once you've got more traction, more track record, et cetera. Um, but he was an example where we definitely want to go back to him instead of trying to find another because there's thousands of VCs out there.
0: Is that sort of just an example of someone throwing a, out the uh, hope line and then you latch you onto it and you think, oh, shit, maybe we will get him one day? Like, they-
2: No. Um, I feel like... You can tell when someone's ticked a box. I've met with a female, you know, founder. I've I've done that. I can report that I'm trying to, you know, add diversity yeah. to my portfolio. And then you can tell the ones who genuinely want to back you, and they'll give you um, feedback and insights to help you come back stronger. So are
0: they saying, if this, then we'll back you. So they're not just saying, look, we liked it, but you know, we're full. We've you know, we've got no funds left. Whatever the case may be. Or as opposed to saying, which, which I think what you're saying is, if you can do these things, because that way you walk out with something concrete. If we can yeah, do these yeah. things, and if you believe you can do those things, yeah. then let's have invest. another yeah. discussion. Yeah. Let's have another discussion. Another discussion. Yeah, because they you won't can tell
2: invest. when they're not
1: interested. They're just like, yep, tick, done. Don't need to see it again. But there um, is this whole thing. You can Google it. What VCs really mean when they say no. And they give you all of these lines, like, you you know, you're too early, there's this or that, and you can just Google actually what they don't believe in is this, this or this. And if they tell you this, it means this, this or this. So there definitely is. And the reason they don't give you as much transparent feedback is often um, it ends up in this, like, it's almost like a messy breakup where the, that founder will then come back and go, no, let me prove to you all the ways that, that like your doubt there is unfounded. And the VCs have like made the decision by that point. They just want to cut they walk, you know, they, they want to go to the next thing, come back in six months, you know, show me more. They, they're always open to keeping their eye on things. I think that's pretty standard. It's about how they how they manage that, whether they've done it well or not.
0: I'll tell you something interesting about in my business, we have to raise money, liquidity, like mm-hmm. every month to fund our mortgages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to go to, not VCs, but we go to fund managers yep. who give what you call the, the MEZ funding. So we've got mm-hmm. the... The first layer of funding, with the last, the equity funding. But we don't have the Mez funding. You have got to do it. Everyone has to raise Mez mm-hmm. funding, and often during the during the COVID period, we got knocked back quite a bit because for reasons we didn't ever find out. Yeah. Um, but largely, that they were they going with these Mez people doing putting money with banks, mm-hmm. and they were you know, sort of discriminating us, I think, because we were a non bank, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. It's just because we weren't fancy. We weren't high quality, if you know mm-hmm, what I mean. Yep. There was a flight to quality yep. during that period, which is fine. Um, but I I think liquidity generally um, seems to find, uh, seems to try and land on a place of what I call quality p- quality in periods where there needs to be a flight to quality. But what I also find is that the people who you're pitching to, in our case pitching to, um, were the, are the worst people in the world at giving you News or giving you any feedback. Mm-hmm. They tend to make you feel like you're a piece of shit. Oh, and that's how we felt during this period yeah. and uh, my business. And we've women, women around me in years. And, uh, and my partners, who are like a massive hedge funder mm. and they were also feeling like a piece of shit too. And there mm. was nothing really, it wasn't us. And it wasn't the quality or the fundamentals of our assets
2: mm-hmm.
0: or the people we were lending money to. Definitely not because we're lending the same money to everybody, so it's just like the banks. But it was more the ability or the inability of the individuals who ran these things who told us no, their inability to express themselves. And they're very, it come across to me as very Mm -hmm. cold-hearted, as if they just didn't give a shit. Mm. I'm not sure if that is the case. Yeah. I judged them. Yeah. And I, I think I judged them wrongly. I don't think it was anything to do with us. I just think that they had a view that they're safer investing their clients' money into things that weren't us. Yeah, and uh, it's changed, fortunately, because you have to wait around long mm. enough. You, you're able to wait around long enough. You, you always things change, but um, yeah, sometimes I would like to see these organisations have some training as to how to communicate. Yeah, and uh, what, that would be nice. And, and what would be good to see too, I think, would be good if somebody like you guys could form a group of all women in tech who have had this problem. You know have had rejection so to speak because together you'd be much more powerful
1: mm.
0: because the last thing anybody would want like if it was me if i was an investor last thing anybody would want is to be outed by a big group yeah. two of you i can just say look the fundamentals aren't there yeah but what really made me be nervous
2: <laughs>
0: is to know there's a massive big group of these organizations who all talk and yeah. connect online and that my name my my investment the vehicle's name could get caught up in this. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool.
2: That would be cool. Do you want yeah. to be the chairman? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Chairperson. <laughs> be scary, but, but, I, but I probably would do something like that because I reckon that's fucking cool. Like that would be, like you know, call out every uh, female investor group or founders who've been knocked back. Register here and tell me the tell us the reasons why you're knocked back, and let's see what we can prosecute with these investment organisations.
1: Mm. Yeah, we definitely agree. Um, Even and a podcast, we have, we've been no, we've been chatting about um, like what we can do in a way that is like really a blend of like you know my diplomacy and Sally's like you know just <laughs> out there let's you know be noisy about this, and the the only problem is the the bandwidth, you know, being a startup founder it's, as it time, is. Time, I get it. Yeah, but you know, like, but it, if it, you had a podcast, yeah. and you said with a tribe too,
0: you know. Build Many a tribe hands. as a result of the podcast and bring yeah. on, it. like I do podcasts to empower people who are successful, but imagine if you did a podcast and said, these are the failures. Yeah. And uh, bring them on once a week, once a month.
2: Absolutely. And the thing for Julie and I is this is something we're truly passionate about. It's not as if we get huge checks get and we go, oh, yeah, we're, we're fine. We actually want to do the right thing for all the other female founders that come after us mm-hmm. and who maybe are standing side by side with us. So it's something that we want to shift the needle on for years and decades to come. Strength in numbers. Absolutely. It works. Like, it hasn't really changed in a decade for us. Well, and then, so we know that it's our time and maybe that's why we are now second-time founders to actually help contribute to improving that problem.
0: Put them on show. Go, yeah. go to, Say, I want to be on your panel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll come if you've got a panel. Yeah. And uh, be I'm prepared okay. to hear my story. Mm. Um and anyway, let's get off that let's talk about her <laughs> her black book uh quickly explain to me please the the interaction how the model works like vendors your tech mm-hmm. and consumers yeah just either one doesn't matter go for it yeah
1: so, our platform is connected to thousands of um, retailers, and we do that through a couple of different ways. We've got affiliate networks where there's already, you know, in the affiliate space, you might have like 10 or 20,000 brands or more globally. Um uh, we but talking about fashion?
0: What are we talking about? No,
1: it can be anything fashion, beauty, homewares, children's. Yeah. Oh, that's travel. Broadly
0: meant. That's uh, that's what I mean by fashion. Okay. Travel as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Travel. Um, and so you've got just vendors. Yeah. And then we also have a direct model for the brands that aren't in the affiliate space yet because. That is like a whole, it's a more complicated, advanced, you know, like it's a fairly new area. A lot of small businesses have got enough things to work out before they even get into the affiliate space. And that's where I believe there's a really long tail of businesses. There's millions of brands that are not yet in the affiliate space. So we wanted to cater to both. Um, So we, the consumer doesn't see that. It's just that's how we bring on our retail brands. Um, and then we essentially, you know, are the first to know about their, uh, if they've got an incentive, they've got a coupon, if they've got a flash sale, et cetera, and we're publishing that for consumers. And what we're about to do is really get into the personalization of that so that any single person can not just have AI deliver better results for them personally, because that's, that's everywhere come on. If you go onto Amazon, you'll see things that you like. And if yep. I go on, I'll see things yep. that's already out there, but we're allowing, you know, further customization so that. When you come into this app, you're really seeing the brands mm. that you love, that you're a fan of. Ultimately, we're reinventing the retail
2: inbox. So rather than having to go that inbox where you've got hundreds and hundreds of... Yeah. EDMs every single month that you just go, I want to know, but I can't be bothered, don't have time. We're surfacing all that information in a really beautiful, aspirational, like visual manner by modernizing it. And it means that people or consumers, both men and women are able to see the information, they can see the brands, they can see what their call out is, they can see the time. So they're only seeing what's actually real and relevant um,
1: in an instant. So currently there's one feed, which is all of our brands and you can sort of browse it by category, but it's coming in about you know, five weeks or so, um, where you have that personalized view. So it would be just the brands that you want to follow, et cetera. So it's like Instagram, if you were to follow all your, all of your favorite brands. Mm. And one of the key reasons that I think this works and, and it's solving an issue is that when we first grew Style Runner five years ago, you could grow virally on social media, but from a reverse perspective, brands could actually reach and share news to, people who really wanted to hear that news. Brands can't really get that social reach anymore. It's been taken away from them because they're monetizing it so hard. So as a brand, if you put something on social media, you don't know organically, you don't know if it's going to reach anyone. You've got a sale. You really need to get the results from. You've got to put money behind it. You just have to. And it doesn't even matter
2: if you engage. Like I engage with Her Black Books Instagram. I obviously follow it. I very rarely get served the the content. Yeah. Like I,
1: the, free, the free content,
2: like I the organic s- content. I see random brands I'm not even following because those ads are obviously paid. So there's a real disconnect to how good it used to be. And to obviously the As status a of, of now, yeah, exactly. So so it's the way
0: LinkedIn operates a little bit at the moment. Like yeah, it, it sort of gives you shits and I, yeah, I, I, my inbox just serve me
2: what I want to see. Yeah, like, and that's what we're tra- that's what we're doing. We're basically bringing back the good old days, but modernizing it in the visual elements. But that whole um, ability to be able to follow—you have your own page, but then you'll also have—and you'll see the content you want to see. But then you'll also have a discover page where that's where you go if you want to learn about anything else in the marketplace, and that's where our AIs will obviously um, feed more brands to you. But your feed will purely be only what you've selected that you want to
1: see. Because consumers have just as much interest in that organic reach as brands do. Like if you're a consumer and you love like whatever it is, Jordan, Porsche, whatever it be, you like want to see that information when it comes out or you want to know when there's a new drop because you've got to be on top of it. Um, So that organic reach is actually deserving customers as well as brands.
0: When was this launched?
1: November, yeah. last, last year. year. Yep.
0: So how do you go about gathering your vendors?
2: So through the affiliate plugins, it's really easy. They basically can either apply and we just, you know, assess and hit yes, or we can go out and hit an application. Um, but we actually have a um, brand partnerships team in place who will actually go to all those direct external, brands. In, external brand
0: it, partnership team or, or an internal.
2: So, we've got our own internal team that will go out and find
1: those direct partners. Saying, so yeah,
0: like a BDMs or whatever. Yeah, they go yeah to like absolutely. Brands
1: so, yeah, are yeah. loving it. Yeah. yeah. And we've obviously got a lot of inbound as well. The more that, you know, kind of the awareness is growing. Um so and our people are customer- coming to you originating. Yeah. Yes, you're not yes.
0: originating. They're coming straight to yeah.
1: you. Yeah. Um and
2: our customer is a is a great one. Like it's already showing from um some of our retail partners that she's a high quality consumer. She's actually spending fifty percent more than the top five affiliate partners in the in the space. Now we have only been around since November, and we're already attracting and producing a customer who isn't just penny pinching and wanting to get the absolute cheapest deal. She's looking to save time. Not she's not good one.
0: In other words, you, yeah, no, yeah, exactly, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and that's attractive to brands. The yeah. fact that we are able to marry the deals and the promotions with editorial, and we're creating, you know, aspirational content and inspiration for shoppers, so that it is a journey as opposed to just come and transact. That is also attractive. Well, how
0: do you do that? The aspirational stuff and and the story.
2: So we've got an built magazine. So through that, we produce content that, are you know, it's almost like I call it like the old school shop to drop mag, where it's, you know, creating all the best looks and feels for seasons, for party wear, you name it, but it's just making it easy and snackable. Consumers don't have time, right? So I know for me, I'm busy in business. I've got kids, barely have time for myself. I don't want to have to go and figure out what's the latest trend. Just someone tell me what I need to buy. So if they can put that in these really snackable easy guides and content, then I can just literally click through and purchase. I can see a full blown outfit and not have to worry about what shoes goes with that dress or what jewelry.
1: It's all laid out for me. Yeah, that, there's obviously a small content team behind that but what I also think is there's actually a lot of content already out there that all of the brands are publishing and it's up to our business to, you know, through our platform and our algorithm to actually determine what of that content is really, um, you know, relatable to the different users and their different segments. But do you go and scrape? We do, yeah. So yeah. You, you,
0: but, but your and system so it's was repurposing, was relatable.
1: yeah, it's, it's absolutely repurposing um, all of that information from brands that they love And so we're actually able to leverage Mm. the huge amount of content that's already out there. So our content team is just, you know, an additional layer and it has that halo of having a magazine. Um, But the scalable side is actually there's enormous amounts of content. If you think about every single brand, every week they'll probably change out their homepage tiles for new stories or they might send, you know, one to three emails. There's so much content out there. And there are people who are fans of those brands. It's actually just making that, as Sally said, snackable Mm. and really easy to digest.
2: So I think also being ex retailers, we understand how much time and even just bandwidth pressure that puts on a team to produce more content for another, you know, another app or whatever it might be outlet. For us, it's about repurposing what's already been created. So we want to make it as efficient and easy for retailers and brands as possible by reusing what they're already making
1: and just resurfacing it in a more modern way. Yeah. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll choose like the most visually compelling image, you know, because so in an EDM that might go out, there might be like 10 different images in there. So, you know, choosing the one that is probably going to stand out the most is something that we currently do. Um, but over time, our AI will do what Instagram does. If you post a carousel with five different images, um, It'll show multiple different images from that carousel in the main feed and it'll work out which is the most engaging. So, you know, we'll kind of have that coming. But right now it is about curating the most compelling image that will work for that brand.
0: Your success will be based on, at the end of the day, because when you talk to the vendors, they're going to say, well, how many people are looking at your stuff? I mean, Mm -hmm. what's your audience look like? Um, Your game is to build your audience. So what are you doing to build an audience or build awareness around the audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is a two-sided marketplace (laughs) so we've got to grow those customers as well. Uh, So luckily I guess with Style Runner our background is in growing community marketing, you know, B2C. So we've got lots of things happening. We've got social media. We've got an amazing community. We do, um, you know, competitions. We do work with influencers. We've just had like this great week of takeovers from all of, um, you know, these great people in the industry um, we do growth marketing, so digital ads, etc. So it's really about growth hacking, trying all of those things, seeing which is, you know, delivering the best results. Yeah. Um, but trying as, we as much stuff on
0: the wall and seeing what
2: sticks. Yeah, and yeah, we're also basically. going into, you know, we're obviously on your podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, then that's we what also about. exactly. Yeah. So we're we're getting that exposure from from multiple um, angles. Even you know, we've got our own podcast that's out as well. We go and speak at any opportunity we can because it is in these early days. It's about doing the work, right? You need to get. Your message out there, and you need other people to then share that message. Um, so, if uh, that's the part we love—the startup phase, mm. the growing the community—is like our is our key and our passion.
0: Okay, two questions. First question: What is your inventory?
1: Uh, it's digital. It's it's but what would you consider digital your content? Inventory? Content. Yeah. Content. Yeah. Vendors. Yeah.
0: So that's cheap. Yeah. Relatively speaking. Do
1: you know what I love about it too? Sorry, because I know no, it no, like, feels like a quick fire question, but the content that we take from our merchants is, as Sally said, it already exists instead of it having to be reverse-engineered. Every other con, every other platform that I can think of, LinkedIn, social media, et cetera, brands reverse engineer content that will work for that channel and it does deliver incremental results but there's an enormous amount of spend that goes into that. Yeah. This is literally it's stuff you've already got. Mm-hmm. We can actually make it more productive.
0: Second question, how are you going with raising money? So how's the uh, investor market looking at you? You've only been going since November. We well, launched in mm-hmm. November. Is this... Uh, Bootstrapped yourselves or what's going on?
2: So, look, what I'll say is that in December when we had um, some investors come to us, we didn't go to market. They came knocking on the door through a relationship that I had. Um, Andrew Hagger, he um, wanted to invest, heard the idea, great, and obviously pulled together some people, Touch Ventures. Um, if I had known what the market was going to do a few months later, I oh, would have mate. gone, great, let's yeah. also go to market and raise Now. More. Then, 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 and yeah. then, Oh, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing and yeah. also a painful thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So um, that didn't happen. But
2: um,
0: have you, do you think you missed it?
1: I think there's still money out there, but it is definitely, um, it just takes longer. You need to speak to more people. It's a numbers game, right? But the yeah. thing that I will say is, and this is often a good outcome of when money is tight, is it's made us be more resourceful mm. in growing the sales, Um, you know, kind of just being more resourceful with every dollar. And I think that, not I think, we will hit profitability sooner than we otherwise would have. Um, yeah. The long-term may end up pretty similar because if you're scaling, it's okay to do that, you know, if you've got the the funding. Um, but I think that th- that will make us a more attractive investment for our Series A.
0: Given your experience and given where we're at in terms of mm-hmm. liquidity in the marketplace at the moment, because it's a bit different it was this December last mm-hmm. yeah. year, yeah. Um, do you think that um, that puts you in a position where you say, okay, scalability is important, I get it, um, but right now we're just going to make sure we get as close to cash flow positive as I possibly can and we'll scale it down the track when we can raise money. Is that is that your mindset or are you going to say, fuck it, we're just going to go for scale?
1: No, slightly. You've got to. Yeah. You've got to get to cash flow, you know, kind of, Positivity earlier, but we also don't want to kill the momentum. So we
2: it's a trade off, exactly.
1: It's a trade off. So for us,
2: it's not looking at you know, okay, VCs at the moment really tough market. They're all being conservative. If you do get one across the line, you've given up way more than you really should. So for us, we've gone let's bench VCs. Let's look at high net worths. Let's look at family offices who are excited and they're the people that we want, the people who are excited and actually willing to back us and allow us to run with that momentum. So we will raise less um, and we will do more work and improve out, like prove out the model even further. And like Julie said, increase our revenue and make it more desirable for when we do go. I think the difference is we always anticipated we would raise in Australia first and then look to go to the US or the UK um, as we go and expand in those markets, the next raise um, will probably just go straight to the US. Um, yeah. You know, even in this initial raise that we were looking at, we had term sheet from from the US. And it's one of those things, it's that old discussion that keeps happen, ha- happening, right? Aussie VCs versus US VCs. And it's like, ah, it's painful. Um, but you want to go with the people who are as excited as you to ride the wave and actually lay to scale fast enough because it is a land grab.
0: Yeah, this is totally, isn't it? Because someone else will come up with the same idea. If, it's, yeah. if, you're, if you're good enough, yeah. you're going to get copied. Exactly. The race of memorization and emulation and that's what's going to happen.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And we have got brand partners who don't even access the app because it's only available in Australia. So we've got like Stella McCartney. We're the first global partner to um, Gucci in two and a half years. So um, we've got these great wins and it's showing you that this is the way retailers are moving in terms of an affiliate, we know we're onto something um, but it's like if Aussies can't, Aussies can't see it, well, then we will.
0: No, fuck it. You have to go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, you've got to bring to market what it is that you've dreamed about. But yeah. You, and it's a great idea. I love it. Absolutely. Out of time, question for me. <laughs> Don't give me something too fucking hard, okay, because <laughs> I know mean, you two girls are all <laughs> smart. I can get it. What's the question?
1: My question would be, um, I guess it is really about this difficulty in the market, right? We've got grit, we've got perseverance. We've proven that because we're second-time founders. Um, That's an important thing too, by the way. Yeah, and everyone says that to us, Mm. so tick. (laughs) Um, And I respect the process that, people are going through on the other side. That that let's put our money where it's safer. And here's another example of what we're up against. Often portfolio or in VCs, for example, we talk about that a lot, but they will often invest in other companies which validate their investments in similar companies, say crypto. Hmm. Because every new investment at a high valuation increases the valuation of everything else. We're doing something very innovative. So where do you go? What proof points do you need? Because like let's just say Sorry, this is a long explanation. She does this a lot. She talks a lot. (laughs) Okay, 60% growth month on month, uh, revenue growth. We've got uh, LTV to CAC, so profitability is way over three, which is a benchmark that VCs love to see, and our payback period is less than 12 months. So we've got a profitable business that's, you know, um, paying itself back within the year. Hitting those numbers, we're second time founders and we're still not getting that traction what's your advice
0: i can give you an observation as opposed to advice yeah um i think the market right now if you're talking about right now is mm. frozen mm-hmm. and it's not just because they can get better returns but they don't know whether or not they're going to get redemptions against their fund in the first mm. place and a lot of them have underperformed as a result of well you mentioned the canva thing with like the amount of revaluations of, of your portfolio, these guys value every month, sometimes quarterly. But if, And as these revaluations come in, um, they get a, a, a reduction in value. And as a result of getting a reduction in value, they're getting redemptions because people say, fuck this, I'll just go put my money. In. Look, we did it on behalf of our dad and other people. We had money and put them into various things, into funds, and uh, they've down, done downgrades and we just took the money. Out. We said, better put putting the money in the bank and just getting 3.5%. Yeah. We will come back into the market is what we're saying. That's what we're saying in relation to just this family stuff. Um, and But the, the only temptation, the only way we would be tempted is if we think we can nick something.
1: Mm.
0: And that is the mentality that mm. exists right at the moment. There's a bad mentality at yeah. the moment and you just have to write it out. I think my advice to you, therefore, this is an observation. That was an observation. Mm-hmm. My advice to you, therefore, is this. I think we are going to overcook everything. I think that come February, March next year, everybody's going to be looking at reinvesting their portfolios, um, leaving some in the banks because they'll be paying good interest rates, but then going to start to take some risk. And I think they'll be looking at reinvesting their portfolios. I know that, you know, we're about to do a tour. And one of the things I'm going to be saying on the tour is the scariness of what's going on at the moment is only scary because we don't understand how the curve works. And i you, once you understand how fictions work to solve a condition, so we have a condition in the world at the moment called inflation,
2: mm-hmm. just like
0: we had a condition in the world called COVID. Governments, institutions have to work out a fiction that will solve that condition. Right now, the condition is inflation, the fiction that's been uh, uh, created is in interest rates. and withdraw liquidity from the markets Mm -hmm. so stop giving people the ability to spend that generally speaking historically economically and historically only lasts for nine to ten months Mm -hmm. and that's the case for ever uh, you go back as far as you want economically go back look at the records the then that we have a straight period a period what i mean straight is nothing happens and that usually lasts about three and a half years yeah and then depending on where the market's at, you can, they can reduce rates. So I think that's going to hit hit us in 2023, that straight period. I think they've overreacted. They've over uh, overhit the market, but not just here in Australia, but across the world. The narrative will become, fuck, um, we've gone too hard. We've got a recession coming. That'll peter out over a couple of months period, at which point everyone's going to say, shit, don't. We're not going to reduce rates because we're going to look like we overreacted. But what we just leave them where they are. Mm. At that point, your VCs and everyone are going to start to say, "We need to start to consider other asset classes." But between here and February March next year, I don't think they're going to want. To, it's going to be unusual to get VCs in particular mm. to go into your asset class. Yep. Family offices, yes, if they really love what you do. Yeah, and and generally speaking, they're probably I'll be honest with you better they're better investors. Because they'll give a personal view on it. They'll they'll, yeah. they'll help you out. The VCs they're like drinking water through a fire hose. You know they they just they can't fucking handle it. They've mm. just got so much they invest in. So I I think if you to answer your question, if you look at it from a point of view of historically what happens in these environments, we are in the overreaction stage right now, which means they're going to underreact to you, <laughs> your asset class. And yeah. I think that they will get back on a more even keel. Then it's going to come down to what the quality pitch is, what the market place you're addressing, how good your tech is, how good your story is and, you know, how convincing you two are. And I, But it will come back But you just have to be patient, I think, unless you can find a high net wealth. Mm. That's where I'm at. And I, I, I'm, I look at my own business in terms of my MES funding that we have to get for every loan we do. So every $100 I lend, I got $2 of my own and I got uh, $90 from a warehouse. I have to find um, $8 bucks. Um, and we have to access the same market as you're accessing. And the returns I was giving them um, six months ago is nearly double t- today. The mm-hmm. a coupon they want on it. But I just have to be patient. We're funding yeah. it ourselves. We're lucky enough to be able to fund it ourselves. We're funding ourselves. But we know the market. We're saying the market's going to come back for February. I think that's the case for every asset class, mm-hmm. not just mortgages, but every asset class, you're an asset class. And uh, money always finds its way. It just yeah. circulates around the world. And uh, unless they create some new stuff, which, by the way, they did. But now they're withdrawing. And the, but the money will just chase the asset classes. They give them the returns that they need, whether they're females or not females. They'll, that's unfortunately the way money operates. It's 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 non-judgmental. Mm. I think it's non-judgmental. Individuals will judge you, but money itself is non-judgmental. Yeah, and it just looks for re- returns. And and I think you, someone like you guys. I mean, I'm impressed. I think. You perhaps you should look at right now, building up as a, a tribe between here and the day you raise money. We go to market in February, for example. It's not that long. We're only talking four months. Yeah. There, there's definitely been an overreaction by the, by all the authorities around the world. Total overreaction. Yeah. They're going to fuck the world, and they they know that that's coming. And here in Australia, for example, our guy, our Reserve Bank, is terrified. Of making a double mistake. He made a mistake last year with his rhetoric and his language and his narrative. He doesn't want to make another mistake and overreact and take us into a recession. Mm. The US is different, but that's that's not going to happen here. Yeah. So he will actually be your guide. Look at his language. Yeah. And you'll start as his language starts to mellow, your investors will start local investors will start to come back. Yeah. That's what I think. Thank that's you. That's
1: a view thank you thank you
0: you're welcome thanks <laughs>
2: thank you it was so good
1: yeah. Likewise, <laughs> that was good chat you. yeah it's really good thanks for listening to another episode of the mentor with mark boris audio and production is by jessica smalley production assistant simon mcdermott this is a mentored podcast